Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Chapel Middle School Podcast. Let's head into the service for this week's message. So if you guys have not been with us the past few weeks, we've been talking about the book of Judges. And we've learned in the book of Judges that there is a a cycle going on. The Israelites have won their nation. They've won their land that they live in. And they have divided up the land among 12 tribes. And they're living in peace and rest. But the cycle kind of goes like this. Everything is going really well. And then they begin to fall away from God. They begin to to disobey God. So God sends a judgment for them. And they're usually conquered by an outside nation or outside king. Then they cry out to God for help. And then God answers by sending them a deliverer, someone to save them, who is called a judge, a, a leader, to lead them out of their captivity or out of their defeat. And he gives them a time of rest again. But then they, what do they, what do, they do? They sin again. So we have a cycle up here. We can throw up the slide here. This is kind of what it looks like, okay? And, and I want you guys to identify, don't, ignore the verses here, but identify as I'm talking here the different cycles as we go through chapter 4 here. You're going to see them pretty clearly as we go along. So we have learned about uh, Othniel. It sounds like oatmeal. It's kind of funny. Othniel, the judge. We learned about Ehud. If you were here on Wednesday night, we learned about Ehud and kind of his funny story. I mean, if you guys don't come on Wednesday nights, I want to encourage you. We, we talk about the stories we can't get on Sundays. And this past Sunday, we talked about like an Italian mobster killing a dictator of a country. It was pretty exciting. So I want to encourage you guys to come on out on Wednesday nights. But um, moving on, we, we're going to skip over Shemgar. But I want to read this verse before we get started, just because it's so cool. I love this verse. Uh, chapter 3, verse 31, uh, 31, it says, After Ehud came Shemgar, son of Athanah, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad, he too saved Israel. Wouldn't it be cool to just be mentioned in the Bible? Just two verses. And it just says, yeah, Barrett Phillips um, saved the Israelites. He killed 600 dudes with a big stick with a point on the end. An uh, ox goad was like a big stick and it had like a point at the end and then a, like a metal ball. And he just walked around, killed 600 dudes who came against Israel. I don't know, like after 400 guys dying, I'd be like, you know what? We should leave that guy alone. We shouldn't attack him. 400 dudes just died. There's like a pile of bodies around him. Maybe we should just stop. But no, 600 guys went forward and then they finally gave up and they left the Israelites alone. So that was another judge. But this week we're going to talk about a judge. Okay, we go from this, you know, manly like Shemgar killing 600 dudes and we go to a different kind of judge. And her name is Deborah. Everybody say Deborah. Now, now what's different about this judge and the other judge we've talked about? Just by the name. What? She's a girl. Thank you. Everybody, all the girls on three, go, girl power. One, two, three, girl power. That was the weakest girl power. Watch this. The guys can do it better. One, two, three, girl power. Wow. Apparently, we have more girl power than the girls. That's embarrassing. Let's give them another chance. All right, girls, come on. Summon your warrior princess cries here, okay? On three. One, two, three, girl power. Better, but still weak. All right. Maybe you'll get inspired during today's message by... Deborah by Deborah. So check this out. We're going to read about Deborah here in chapter 4. Read along with me. It says this. Verse 1, it says, After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Is that sounding familiar to anyone? Yeah? What we've been talking about? This is step 
uh, one in the cycle here. The people turn from God. They begin to disobey God and turn away from Him. So the next step is the judges, I'm sorry, the people turn from God. God will judge them by delivering them into an enemy's hands. Let's read about that. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in, I don't want to read that name, so let's just say Woodley Manor. Lived in Woodley Manor. Because he had 900 iron chariots, he had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried out to the Lord for help. So you kind of see in the cycle here. First, the people disobey God. Then God sends a, a king, Jabin, with his commander of his army, Sisera, who conquers the Israelites. And for 20 years, they are oppressed and they have hardship. Then after 20 years, it takes them 20 years to come around. They cry out to the God. The people turn back to God and say, God, we messed up. We sinned. We disobeyed you. We didn't remember you when you called us. Forgive us. Save us. And God answers their prayer. Even though they messed up, God in his love and mercy answers their prayer and forgives them. And he sends them a savior. And the name of that savior in this story is Deborah. So let's read about Deborah a little bit here in verse 4. It says, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipitoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her with their um, came to her, wait sorry came to her to have their disputes settled. So check this out, guys. God sends them a leader, and her name is Deborah. And she is so wise that people from around the nation will travel to her and ask her about problems they're having. They'll travel from around the nation, and she was so respected. You're going to learn that about her in this story. She is very respected among her peers. That people would come to her and they'd say, hey, what do you think about this, Deborah? We're having a dispute over some land. What do you think? Hey, we're having a dispute within my family, or there's an issue going on. What, what do you think about this, Deborah? And so she was a very wise, responsible woman who was respected in the community. She also, it says, was a prophetess. Now, at a restaurant, you have a waiter and you have a waitress. Waiter's the guy, waitress is the girl. So if you have a prophet and you have a prophetess, it means it's the girl version of a prophet, okay? Same thing, just different name to distinguish between the two. And we've learned about prophets in the Bibles. And prophets, were, were, prophets are men who speak to the people on God's behalf. They say, hey, guys, God has said this. And they proclaim what God has said to them, to the people. So a prophetess in the same way hears from God, and then they relay that message to the people. And Deborah was one of those prophetesses. She would hear from God and then relay to the people what God had said. And God actually speaks to her and gives her a plan on how to free the Israelites from captivity, how to free the Israelites from their oppressor of Jabin. So during this time of turmoil, so much had been going on, she was leading the nation as a judge, as a helper through her wisdom, and she was a prophetess. And, and finally, after 20 years, God has given her the plan or the means by which to deliver the nation from their oppressors. So let's read here about the plan that God has in verse 6. It says, She sent for Barak. Huh. Barak. Where have I heard that, where have I heard that name? Barak. Um, Barak. Barak. 
Obama, yeah, Barack Obama, cool. He's in the Bible, or at least Barack is, not Barack Obama, but Barack is in the Bible. So let's read about him today. So uh, Barack from Kadesh and Naphtali and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you, go and take with you 10,000 men from Naphtali and Zebulun and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kadesh, I'm sorry, Kadesh River and give him into your hands. So check this out. Deborah's got a plan that God's given her, okay? And the plan goes a little something like this. She calls forth Barak and says, Barak, okay, God has given you a command. He's given you an order. He's given you something to do, okay? And here's God's command. Get 10,000 men from these two tribes of Israel. And I want you to go to this mountain and wait. God is going to lure your enemy, Sisera, and his army, going to lure Sisera to a river, the Kadash River. And at that time, you will ambush them and attack them. So God's going to do his part. God's going to bring the king, uh, the king and his men to this location, or the commander of the army. And then you guys are going to attack and ambush them and have victory over them. So this is the command that God is giving to Barak. That, uh, I should say that Deborah is giving to Barak on God's behalf. So let's listen to Barak's answer here or reply to God's command. So God's giving him an order, and here's what he says. Barak says to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Pretty straightforward here answer. He basically says this. Um, listen, warrior princess Deborah awesomeness. Um, listen, uh, I, I won't go. Okay, I will not go take the 10,000 men, ambush them. I will not do it. I will not obey God unless you come with me. If you come with me, if you're on my side, if you come with me and, and I have people beside me supporting me, then I will go and obey God. But if, if I don't have the support that I need, if you're not with me, I won't go alone. I can't do it alone. I, I need you with me. Do you see the mistake that he's making here? God is giving him an order, and he says, okay, I will obey God's order only if other people obey with me. I will do what God wants me to do only if I have the support around me, only if I'm not alone in doing it. We don't know if this response was out of fear. Maybe he was afraid and he needed Deborah there to be with him. Maybe he, was, he thought Deborah was like a good luck charm and that everything around her was good and that if she came, they'd have victory. Maybe it was a lack of faith. We don't know exactly the reason, but we do know that that he said, without you, Deborah, if you don't come with me, if you're not on my side, if you're not beside me, then I won't obey God. He was conditional in his obedience towards God depending on someone else. He didn't just hear God say, hey, do what I want you to do. And God, he didn't say, okay, God, I will. He said, okay, God, I will if this person comes with me and does it with me. Let's see Deborah's response here. Verse 9, very well, Deborah said, I will go with you, but... Because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. Then Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where they summoned Zebulun and Naphtali. Ten thousand men followed them, and Deborah also went along with him. So Deborah says, okay, okay, little baby, if you won't go on your own, okay, if you're too scared, if, you're, if you don't have the faith, I'll go with you, okay? I'll, I'll go with you and help you out. But understand this. Because you were not willing 
and your courage and your boldness to go alone because you had to have somebody with you and you weren't willing to just go on God's command, you're not going to get the same honor you would have gotten. And the, the opposing general will not be killed by you. You will not have victory. But a woman will get credit for your work because of what you did. And let me tell you the rest of this story. I'm going to summarize the rest of chapter 4 and chapter 5 because it's a great story. Basically, here's how it goes down. They get their 10,000 men and they wait for an ambush. Then somehow, Sisera gets word and she decides to come, he decides, sorry, not she, he decides to come to the river with his chariots and they, so they go to the river. And when they get there, God preordained in chapter 5 a flash flood to happen. And so there's this mud all around the river and it's kind of risen. And what happens when you have chariots and horses and mud? It kind of gets stuck, you know? So their, their chariots get stuck and their horses kind of get stuck. And this gives an Israelites an advantage. You see, if you're an Israelite and you got a sword and charging at you is two horses and a chariot being drawn by it with guys in it with bows and arrows, you're at a disadvantage, okay? That's going to be hard to beat that chariot running right at you because they might just run you right over, okay? Kentucky Derby style. So that, that could be a challenge, okay? But, but what happens is the horses get stuck and the chariots get stuck in the mud, and then there's this, you know, massive sitting target there, and there's only 900 of them, and the Israelites storm in with Deborah leading them, and Barak probably behind like, yay, go Deborah! And Deborah, like warrior princess, I just have this picture of like braided hair, like bow and arrow, like Katniss Everdeen, just doing work, okay? Charges down this mountain, ambushes the men who are stuck in their chariots, and they get slaughtered by warrior princess Deborah and little baby Wussman Barak, okay? Storm in there, kill them all. Except for one. The leader of the opposing army, Sisera, somehow escapes and he runs away from the battle. And he escapes. So Barak starts looking for him. Deborah starts looking for him after the battle took place. And they need to find this leader because he's a very influential military leader. And if he gets away, he could come back with another army. So they're looking for him, but they can't find him because what he did was he found a neighboring tribe who was an ally of his people. And he went to someone, he went to one of the tents, the tents of a girl named Jabal. And he goes, Jabal, can I stay in your tent? Can I hide in there? Can, if anybody comes, just tell them that I'm not here. Okay, just lie to them. Please, I need to hide. An army is chasing me. She goes, okay, come on in. And he's tired, so he lies down. And he says, hey, do you have anything to drink? And she goes, yeah, sure. And she brings him some more milk. He goes, oh, I love warm milk. He goes, oh, that's great. And he lies down. And he goes, okay, well, if anybody comes. And she's like, hey, you're safe. I'm going to take care of you. Thank you. She goes, I'm going to take care of you. Oh, okay, thank you, cool. And he goes to sleep. And there's double meaning there. And so he goes to sleep. And she decides to go through with a plan. And it's, it's gross, okay? It is very gross and it's really cool. She takes a tent peg. You know how you're like, impale a tent peg into the ground and you put the rope down to hold up a tent, okay? She takes the big nail tent peg and a hammer and sneaks in while the dude's sleeping. He's just, oh yeah, I'm just safe in here. Just, oh yeah, this is good. He's dreaming maybe that he won the battle that he just lost, okay? And she sneaks in there, takes the tent peg, the, the nail, puts it on the side of his temple and maybe he like goes, huh? And she nails him into the ground. Yeah! This is a girl, okay? This is it. Yeah, we can clap. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, we can clap. Girl power. Girl power right there. She takes a tent peg and nails the dude's forehead into the ground with a hammer and nail. And guys, this wasn't a warrior princess. This wasn't a warrior or anything. This was just an average, you know, mom. 
Somebody shows up at your mom's house. Hey, can I stay in there? Sure. Okay, you're an enemy? Cool. Why don't you come on in? Yeah, just go to sleep. And then your mom gets a hammer and a nail. Boom! Impales him to the ground. You're like, go mom. All right. So then, take, this, is, this, this is my favorite part of the story. And then uh, Barack comes forward. And Barack's like looking everywhere and he, he runs by the house. He goes, hey, have you guys seen like a warlord, like leader guy, sister right? He's like trying to hide. We, we just beat his army. We're trying to find him. And j was like, oh, huh. What did he look like? Well, he, you know, look like this. Huh, I, I think I remember him. He looks a little bit different now. Why don't you come in and take a look? Huh? So she leads him in the tent, opens up the tent, and Barack walks in. Oh, what's going on? Oh, oh, that's it. Oh, the smell. You could have Febreze it. Or, oh, there's blood everywhere. And she's like, yeah, it's on my hands. Oh, that's just gross. Come on. And probably Barack was like a little scaredy cat man. He probably like couldn't handle the blood. He's like, I'm going to be sick. And, you know, the girl's like, <laughs> like picking up his head or something gross like that. But here's his story, okay? Deborah's over here being a warrior princess charging into battle. Here's Jabel over here taking a, a nail and a hammer and impaling a dude's face to the ground. And Barack's over here. If you don't go with me, Deborah, I, I, I can't go alone. Now, this wasn't like a romantic, like, I'll go anywhere with you, Deborah. Please come with me. Because she's already married to some other dude, okay? She found some cool, awesome dude to get married to, and she doesn't want to marry this wimpy guy anyway. And she, the guy's like, oh, but I, I can't do this alone, Deborah. Please, I'm afraid. If you'll go with me, then I'll go to battle. But if, if you don't go with me, I'm just too afraid. I don't want to go alone. I can't obey God on my own. I need you to go with me to have the strength to do it. Here's the crazy thing, because sometimes we give Bible characters a hard time, because we can look back on their lives and see the mistakes they make. And, you know, if our lives were written out in a book for everybody to read, people probably would say, man, that guy's an idiot, as they read about my life. But, but as you read about Barack's life, we need to understand that we make the same mistake, too. And here's the mistake that we make. Let me summarize it like this, and then I'll, I'll explain it a little bit later. Sometimes we need to understand that we need to follow God's command, not popular demand. We need to follow God's command, not popular demand. Let me explain what that means. Barack was saying, look, I, God gave me a command. Okay, but I can't do it because I, I can't do it alone. I need somebody beside me, somebody to help me. I, I, I can't do it on my own. I want somebody else to be with me. And so many times, guys, we are influenced by what other people are doing to where we don't follow God's command because maybe we're being forced to follow his command alone. Are you able to follow God alone? Are you able, if everyone else is living one way, acting one way, believing one thing, are you able to live in a different way where you say, I'm still going to obey God's command, regardless of if anyone comes with me, be it a Deborah, be it someone else, regardless of anyone comes with me, regardless of whether someone obeys with me, I'm going to follow God regardless. No, what happens is so many times we are influenced by the people around us and we yield to the pressure, the demand of the people around us. Or we react to how they react rather than reacting to how God has given us, the command God has given us. I got a video I want to show you guys. Um, and basically in this video, and I'll come back to why I want to show you this in a second, uh, but basically in this video, it's like a candid camera show. And in the candid camera show, 
uh, they like pull pranks on different people and see what they can get them to do, if they can get them to fall for different things. I think the show's called Would You Fall For That or something like that. Anyway, in the show, what happens in this scenario is they have all these trained actors, and they all walk into an elevator. And there's one person who's like not in on the prank, who they're trying to prank. And all the trained actors are in the elevator, and I'm going to show it to you in a second. And they all walk in the elevator. Usually when you walk in the elevator, you walk in the door, and then you turn around and you face the door. You know, so when it opens, you can walk out or you can see the different numbers or whatever. But these actors all walk in the elevator, and they all face the wall. They just stare at the wall the whole time. It's kind of awkward. They kind of just stare at the wall. And so this lady walks in, and she walks in, and she looks around, and everybody is staring at the wall and not turning around to face the door. So let's watch these two ladies' reaction to what they do when he everybody's is facing the wrong way. A civilian. Everybody else in the elevator is on our team. That is Elizabeth. She's facing the front as she should, but she's looking around. She's noticed that everybody else is facing the back. She's looking around, wondering what's going on. This is a bit odd. Everybody else is acting like nothing strange is happening. Elizabeth is looking around like something very strange is happening. We're on the second floor. She's slightly turned. She's turned. Look at her shoulders. She's not facing the front anymore. She's moved. Emily gets on. Again, she's with us, presses her button. Elizabeth looks at her, Emily faces the back. Elizabeth is turning, Elizabeth is turning. She's pretending she's just looking around, but that's a cover. She's actually turning as well. All right, going again. Okay, that lady there with the gray pointing up, that's Karen. She's an innocent passerby, gets on. Everybody else is in on the experiment. She presses a button, immediately complies. She faces the back, is everybody else's. <laughs> you walked in and you started facing the same direction we all were, right? I actually thought that you all knew something that I didn't. That's the crux. She bowed to the pressure of the group. Conform, but you know, it doesn't work. All right. You can clap. I don't know why you would, but I guess. So check us out. What you saw in that video was the girl walked in, and she turns around to face the door, and she notices something. She's like, wait, what? Everybody around her is facing the other direction. And they're kind of, so they're kind of actually staring at her, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you facing? And so she starts to kind of do this awkward, like, half turn, like, what are they looking at? Like, kind of like, is there something on the wall? Like, is there someone behind me? Like, and so she kind of like does this half turn. And, she, and then somebody else gets on the elevator, and they start facing this way. And she goes, oh, they're, they're all fit. Oh, I guess, I guess I'll just turn this way. And so she turns around thinking, okay, well, all these people are facing this way. So maybe they know something I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're doing something I, I should do, too. And she does what she knows is wrong, face the wrong direction, because everyone around her is doing it as well. The second girl walked right in, she saw everyone facing that way, and she goes, oh, okay, so she just turned around right away. Remember, she came out, and they're like, hey, so why did you face the wrong way? Well, I saw y'all doing it, and I, I just figured maybe y'all knew something I didn't know. Maybe there was like a sign or something that said face that way. And we laugh, and it's kind of funny when you see it like that, but, but how often does that happen in our everyday lives. Maybe you come in here into worship and, and, and we start singing songs. And maybe, maybe you see everybody's kind of just like standing there and, and no one's willing to raise their hand or, or, or sing loudly. And so you think, okay, well, if I do this, I'll be alone. And everybody else is kind of doing this, so maybe I should just sit here quietly too. 
Or maybe you go to school and you, you kind of react to how the other people act. You, you, you conform what you do, not based on what God commands you to do, but based on what they do. And here's how it looks sometimes. We look at what the other Christians are doing at school. Okay, do the other Christians curse at school? Because if, if they don't, then, then I won't curse either. I'll feel safe to, to, command, to follow God's command and do what He says because everybody else is doing it too. But, but if I'm the only one who's standing strong at school, I don't want to be alone. And we see kind of everyone facing this way. Maybe it looks like this. Maybe, maybe everyone at your school believes something. Maybe they all believe that humans evolved from apes and they believe that the Big Bang Theory created everything. There was just this big boom, and then everything was, okay? They don't believe that a God created the heavens and the earth. And so everybody's kind of facing this way, and you're over here, and you don't believe that. You're facing the other way, and everybody's facing this way, and you kind of feel awkward because people are looking at you. You're different. You're alone in what you believe. And, and you, you kind of start to, well, maybe they know something I don't know, and you kind of turn around, and and then you feel kind of more safe and more comfortable because over here, you know, everybody's looking this way and, and you kind of keep turning and, you, and you, you turn away from what God obeys you to believe or from what you know of God because you feel alone. Because you want that support of other people being beside you. And here's Barack and he says, okay, well, well here's what God wants me to do. Here's his command Okay, but I don't want to do it alone. I want somebody with me. And, and if somebody else is with me and supports me and is beside me, then I'll do it. Then I'll obey God. But, but if nobody helps me, if nobody's beside me, then I won't obey God. Guys, that's not the life Christians were called to. We were not called to be controlled by fear, controlled by popular opinion, controlled by the people around us. We were called to be obedient to God, to be respectful of the example that Jesus set. And sometimes Jesus in following God was very alone. Sometimes Jesus stood alone in a crowd because he was following and obeying God. Are you willing to do that? Are you in a place in your faith where you are willing to stand while all else sit and be confident in that? Are you in a place where you are confident enough to sit while all else stand? Are you in a place where you're confident enough to believe one thing while everyone else is facing the other direction? Everyone else maybe is even mocking you. What, you believe in a Jesus? You believe that there was some guy who died on a cross? What are you talking about? And everyone even maybe mocks you because you're different, because you're facing a different direction. And you are bold enough and courageous enough to stand firm in the promise that God has given you and to not turn based on the people around you and what they believe and their opinions, but to stand firm in God's command and obey Him. Are you that kind of person? Because there will be times where you follow God and everyone is with you. There are other Christians beside you supporting you, being with you. But there are also times where God's command will mean that obeying Him will mean walking alone. Barak wasn't able to do that. He wasn't able to walk alone and obey God alone. He needed people beside him. And it is a good thing to have people beside you. You should. But are you able to take that step forward when no one else will? Are you? Or are you conformed or influenced by the people around you? Sometimes the people around you can influence you in a good way. Maybe you go to summer camp 
And then you are surrounded by people and they're worshiping. They're excited about Jesus. You go into your cabin groups and they're talking about Jesus all the time. And even the kitchen staff, as they bring you out their food, their, their faces are radiant with God's love towards you. And it's kind of contagious and, and it influences you in a good way to follow God's commands, to be with God. But then you leave that and you go back to school. And as you get to your school, the people are, are facing a different direction. Do you turn? Do you yield? Or are you the same? Whether you walk alone or whether you walk with Christians, are you the same? What strength and what boldness can be taken? What courage can be taken from someone who will follow God regardless of what other people do? Regardless of what their nation does? And we see Deborah in this story, and she is confident, she is brave, she is bold, she is willing to follow God regardless of what other people do. I believe that if God had asked Deborah, hey Deborah, charge into those enemy chariots alone, Deborah would have been like, all right, gotcha, cool. And just charge right into the enemy chariots alone, warrior princess style, and killed them all. But God didn't call her to that. She was obedient to what God called her to. She didn't say, if people come with me, then I'll follow God. She says, no, I'm going to follow God. And if people come with me, great. If they don't, I don't care. They need to catch up. And sometimes, guys, the amazing thing is when there is a Christian who's willing to be alone, who's willing to charge ahead at God's command, and the other Christians see that one running ahead, see that person with courage moving forward, and they are encouraged by that. They say, wow, there's somebody who's following God when nobody else is. And other people will fall in behind you. They will see your courage. They will see your zeal for Jesus. And they will fall in behind you and follow you into battle. Those 10,000 men, they followed Deborah into battle. They followed Deborah into battle. The question is, would they have followed Barak because he was afraid because he wasn't willing to move forward on his own? Might it be said of us, that we are willing to step forward when no one else will? Might it be said of us that we have courage to obey God's commands and not give in to popular demand? Might that be said of us? That we might be rewarded by God, that we might have honor from God, that he might look at us and say, you follow when nobody else will. Well done. Let's pray. Father God, I ask that we have been in a place, Lord, where we will not say, God, I'll follow you if somebody else will. But we would say, God, I'll follow you even if no one else will. God, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth if you give me that command. Might we be able to have that boldness and that courage in our hearts and not be fearful. And not be dependent on other people but solely, entirely dependent on you, Lord, on your Holy Spirit giving us courage and giving us power to move forward. Might we be bold for you and courageous. We love you. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen. Amen.